There we go. All right, we're recording. Old Scratch, your mic's working? Yeah, everything's working on my end. All right, if you guys are ready to go, Old Scratch will kick us off. For sure, just give me one second here. Okay, so first of all, thank you everybody for jumping on and joining us. We're honored to be hosting the useless team today. Uh, and, you know, they were uh, kind enough, if you weren't there, to host us last week in their channel. So we're super happy and honored to return the favor and, and uh, talk to this team that has a very similar vision to our overall mission in DeFi uh, and, and a great name, if I say so myself, Useless Crypto is one of the best crypto names obviously out there. So that being said, um, uh, why don't you start off um, False Flag uh, and describe the the project and yourselves and, and, and you know your background and everything for Useless Crypto? Sure, well, let's get started. So. First, appreciate you having me on. It's always an honor um, and being on here for an AMA, um, being able to talk candidly and have a conversation, I always really appreciate that. So we are the useless team. Um, I'm Kark, also known as False Flag on Telegram. I have two identities. Uh, funny story, it actually started out because I didn't want to cause a ruckus um, as a community manager for SafeMoon. Um, to give the impression that I was, you know, trying to steal away the Safe Moon army or anything like that. That's why I originally went by False Flag, um, and then now I just, I just don't care anymore. I'm Kark, also known as False Flag. So, <laughs> but anyway, great to be here. Um, so, a little bit about the team. Um, so, I'm Kark. I'm the CEO, and we have a, a pretty large team actually that's been working internationally on this. I, I can go in and say all the names, but I don't think we have all day. Uh, I'd say there's probably about 40 active people in our leadership channel, and uh, most of those people contribute meaningfully to the project. So it's a it's a big effort. Um, there's a lot going on um, from an engineering standpoint. Uh, and right now, I'm currently full time as well as Amir, our um, our mobile app architect. So it's it's definitely a very exciting time for us. We've had our first week of working together full time. And it's been been an absolute blast. Um, for myself, I, my my history is I have about 13, 14 plus years of software engineering experience. Um, so for my day job, which I recently am no longer part of, uh, to work on full-time useless as a principal software engineer and software engineering manager. So you know, software is a language that I speak and I know. Um, and hopefully my goal and vision is to translate a lot of that tech talk engineering speak into something that's um, more understandable to people who aren't necessarily engineers themselves. And DeFi is complicated, it's technical, uh, but we, we have a very strong vision towards making DeFi more accessible to the every man, every woman. That is our goal is accessibility. And that's what we're trying to do and accomplish with our, with our apps. No, absolutely. I know um, for me personally, and definitely not not alone on this uh entering DeFi for the first time a few years ago myself was just such a it felt so foreign and it still does to so many degrees there's so many barriers that are still in the way and uh you know that could be really intimidating for a lot of people and uh so when you know when we found your project it was like wow this is really cool like you know because we started this project uh 
almost a year ago now. And, uh, you know, to see someone in another team kind of doing the same thing is so important and do it well, mind you. You know, I see other teams with other missions and, you know, I'll do respect to them, but I, I don't know if they're making it simple well enough, at least yet. So, and, and you guys seem to be doing that. So, uh, great answer. Oh, appreciate so, that. And, and, and yeah, that was, yeah. that was definitely an issue just to, to add to that right. um, back and forth. The conversation is it took me a while, a while to initially buy Safeman. That was my first foray into right. DeFi and Lance, who is um, part of our docs team. It took him two days, two days to figure out how to get the BNB, how to set up the whole thing. And it, it was amazing um, how long, like really, really smart people who are software engineers would take to get into the space, let alone like your aunt or your mother-in-law or something like that. I mean, <laughs> right. Almost right. an insurmountable type of issue. That's what I was going to say is like, I had the exact same experience and I had a programming background as well. And I was like, I, I mean, it, it was, deep, it was, it was, um, it, it was like completely ego deflating because my first soiree was actually on the Harmony blockchain and it was with Viper. Like the Venom DAO last year was really like the first time I hardcore did DeFi. Um, other than some ETH stuff. And I had the same thing. I was like, what the hell is a swap? Like, what do you mean swap? Like, sell, is this different than sell and buy? Um, so down to the language there, and, and that's something we've honed in, we honed in on. Um, uh, and actually, just before we get to our other questions, I just wanted to ask you about that. Um, how did you come to the conclusion of that mission? Because, you know, we sort of had our own experience of when we're deciding, you know, like we said, we started meeting like a year ago and really trying to carve out like what would be the sort of ultimate crypto project that we would want to invest our you know really lives in long term and we kind of came to the same conclusion as as you did it's it's sort of like i guess a defi 2.0 thing right um how do we onboard people that are completely green to the space and it doesn't feel anything like it feels like now so i'm very interested to see your journey to that conclusion versus of course the stuff that you probably get asked at every ama is like when are you doing an nft marketplace and when's your uh, metaverse game <laughs> right <laughs> no, that's a that's a great question. So it was a journey, right? Useless started out as a meme token. Um, and it was like, all it really had to it was a great name. And so when I initially bought on day one, that's the reason why I bought, I was like, oh man, like this useless token, That's that sounds like great meme potential. And that's, that's where my headspace was initially. And so you're right, it really was a journey to go from, wow, a meme token with no utility, no purpose, kind of ironic, you know, like making poking fun at the space, right? To, wow, we're actually building out utility and we're trying to solve real problems. And I think it was just a natural progression of trying to solve real problems because we saw that as one of the biggest barriers to entry into the space. And so we we took a look at some, I mean, I know Robinhood doesn't have a, a great reputation right now, but I don't think anyone can doubt that Robinhood added meaningfully to the space of innovation when it came to regular retail stocks. Um, and that's that's because of the ex accessibility that they provided. And so when we started building out a charting app, um, you know, we were looking for utility for the token initially, is what can we do to provide something meaningful to the space? And I think that's a, a struggle that a lot of tokens face is to, to find their identity, find out what they're trying to do. Um, some people immediately know right off the bat what their whole goal is. They have these grandiose visions. We, we had to find out the hard way. We had to figure it out um, over a period of time. Um, <clears throat> so it wasn't one day we woke up and we're like, aha, this is what we're doing. 
Um, I think we just naturally fell into that niche because we were all about trying to solve the problems of accessibility. And then after a while, we took a look back and we said, oh, well, this is obviously what we're trying to solve um, the, the whole time. You know, That's the vision for what we're trying to do. And we just kind of just settled in on that. Um, and now I think with that mission in mind, um, we've really been able to double down on that and really focus on providing that accessibility. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love to hear that. And I, I think um, it's really, we we really appreciate seeing like any project trying to like, again, onboard people and expand the space. It's, it's probably the single most important mission for DeFi right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, clutter <laughs> there's there's a lot of um there's a obviously like an incredibly oversaturated market right and it's really interesting to see the the projects i call our graduating class the ones that were um sort of in the pre-sale rankings with us on pink sale how you know i sort of envied the market caps of so many of those uh projects and they've either rugged or just kind of entirely deflated um you know were abandoned and stuff so i i guess that's that sort of leads into my next question um, so you start out as a meme token, you start developing this utility. I think one of the things that you've done best is you've maintained um, a pretty steady market cap with everything going on. Um, well, I know people don't think that, but it's true in terms of DeFi and crypto and, and low cap coins. I mean, it's been pretty steady comparatively, right? Um, and uh, But more importantly, you've really maintained a powerful and loyal and uh, exuberant community. So I just wanted to... Uh, you know, talk to you a little bit or get your thoughts on sort of what your uh, community building process was like and and why you think uh, Useless has such a sort of powerful and, and dedicated following. No, thank you for that. So um, I think it does go back to some of the roots at SafeMoon. Um, so being a community manager for SafeMoon, you, you're able to see a lot of the FUD um, and fight a lot of the FUD. And so right out of the gate, I knew exactly what people would FUD the project on. Um, and I tried to be really preemptive about that. And so one of the, the biggest challenges I think a DeFi project has to face is the issue of trust, right? I mean, because there's so many scams, so many rug pulls out there. Right. Uh, and it, it's, just, it's, it's overwhelming. I would say 90, 95% of everything that's, that's released in presale ends up being a rug or scam of some sort, right? And so you're not just investing in a project, you're investing in the team. And so um, right out of the gate, we preemptively did some things that I felt were trust generating or trust building, um, such as like forming an LLC um, or doxing the core team members, putting everything behind a multi-signature wallet, um, making a vow that we would always, if we did any liquidity movements, that we would publicly post all of the transactions and our reasoning for doing so. Um, the fact that we're not using our LP for operational expenses or anything like that. Um, so all of these things that we tried to preemptively do to demonstrate like, yeah, we can just say, just trust us, right? Um, but I don't think that flies in this space. I think you demonstrably need to prove that you are, that you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would rather be, um, I would rather be trustworthy over being trusted, right? And, and that's, I think the difference is that we're proactively trying to be trustworthy and again, that's a process, not an event. Um, you shouldn't have the expectation that you're just trustworthy. You should always preemptively go through all the motions and set the stage um, so that it's very, very difficult, if not near impossible, 
for um, holders of your project to be harmed. And I think that's part of the spirit of decentralization. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that went in. I, I have a lot of really, really good people to help foster and build that community. And, and they're absolutely incredible. I mean, huge shout out to ADC for organizing all the community efforts. I mean, he's incredible and he's a machine. He's always on, he's always doing stuff. And so a lot of it is just really, really good people, I feel, to help manage um, the expectations of the community. The other thing that I think is really important, sorry, my phone's going off, um, is that we we don't overhype. Um, and this is something that I think has been really um, misunderstood because not all hype is bad. I think hype is okay if it's really backed up um, by what you've built. So if I'm releasing something in two weeks and I wanna be like, guys, this is what we built, this is what we're releasing, or we've already built like a beta app, like sure, let's go out, let's hype that, let's show people what we got. But overhype, I think, is a serious problem in this space. Like you mentioned at the very beginning of the space, like tell me about your NFT marketplace and your your metaverse project, and you know the exchange that you're building, and all these like massive ambitious projects, and that's cool and all, but what is the likelihood we're actually going to see that come to fruition? And so we've been really, really careful about our messaging and setting expectations. I think that's the most important thing is that if we say we're going to do something, we're going to work on it and we're going to put it out there. So for example, our app, I'm not just saying, guys, we're working on the app. It's coming along. What we're doing is we're putting out betas, beta releases, and you can download and look at what we're doing. There's other things that we've announced that um, we're like, this is happening. This is something we're working on more short term. Um, expect to see this in the next month or two. And then our goal is to really deliver on that. And so setting expectations, I think, is incredibly important. And setting a baseline of trust, I think, is part of our secret sauce. But um, aside from that, um, I think a lot of it's luck. I think of a lot of it's just the team you build. And some of it, I think, is just, um, you know, just a lot of hard work and if you build a community first, the rest will follow. That's been kind of our philosophy. And I think it's been working out okay. Great answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Scratch, I think he had a, so you wanted to segue and riff on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a, that was a really good answer. And you actually said something that's really, I mean, it really sticks out to all of us. And that's really about uh, crypto scams. It really is like 90, 95% that high it's crazy i mean and, and i'm curious to get your perspective on this because i actually just wrote it uh we write articles on medium um for devil you know kind of like put our, our perspective out on the DeFi space on news you know every once in a while and we i actually just wrote one on on scams that happen in the space and one of the things mephisto and i talked about was like for this article was how can the DeFi community you think can solve this issue of scams before centralized, you know, government kind of gets involved. And, you know, the, the advantage you have with the stock market, right, is it's a lot safer in terms of DeFi, but, you know, it's very centralized. And if centralized government gets too involved in DeFi, it kind of defeats the whole overall purpose of DeFi, but maybe the scams go away. So is there a solution that the DeFi community themselves can kind of stop scams from happening? Just from your perspective, working on useless, do you see anything like that? Yeah, I think it's a holistic problem to solve. And I think DeFi can solve it themselves. And I think you're right. If they don't figure it out fast, right? If we don't figure it out fast, 
then it is going to invite a lot of regulation into the space. Um, so one thing I think that can really be part of that holistic solution is auditing is kind of become the de facto standard. Um, and if you don't audit a project, um, there's going to be a lot of FUD on that project and probably rightfully so. Um, it's really easy to sneak in problems into the contract and uh, problems or or uh, booby traps or something that grants some sort of extra permission that could lead to the entire project getting rugged. Um, an example for useless, um, again, I didn't launch the useless token. I bought in originally, and then the um, the original, um, the OG dev ended up handing all the keys over to the token to the community, and it became a community-led token. Um, one of the things that we found in the early days is that the contract had a liquidity bug with it. It wasn't audited, had a liquidity bug, and we were forced to relaunch um, to solve that liquidity issue. And it was wow. one little line buried deep in the contract, and it was more just the variable was set incorrect um, that caused this massive issue with this immutable contract. So auditing, I think, is definitely one big thing that will will help the space. Um, Certic has kind of become the, the de facto standard. Um, we're audited through Solidity. Um, there's a bunch of other auditors out there. Not all of them are, I think, um, the perhaps the best, but it's it's definitely something that helps, um, I think, to provide some confidence. The other thing I think that is really good for the space is, that I think could help with reducing the number of scams and whatnot is the, the KYC. Um, everyone's starting to do KYC Sorry. and start, yeah. Um, and then finally, I think the launch pads that are being put out there um, are really beneficial. Um, there's a couple of utilities too for things like locking up other contracts um, or putting them some sort of like DAO type state to where like you re-get ownership if the token itself, um, the community votes on like bringing ownership back in order to do certain things. Um, so I think a move towards full, more fuller decentralization is is huge i think launch pads that help manage the entire process to make it impossible for you to launch without your liquidity being locked things like that are helpful and they can all be done in a decentralized way um and I'll, I'll speak for a second on safemoon right like obviously i've been part of safemoon for a really long time and you know i've loved the project and all that but um the contract itself is dangerous and people fork that contract so often and the reason it's dangerous is because the swap and liquefy when it injects liquidity, the LP tokens come back to the owner wallet and they're unlocked. And for if you have a really strong centralized um, type governance where the founders are doxxed and you trust the team, um, it's not really that big of a deal if you really do, if the team proves and demonstrates that they have a lot of trust and they're accountable. However, it's all the copycats that are problematic. They'll copy the contract and then they'll have the freedom to rug it later. And so we gotta be careful as DeFi developers on the contracts we write, because I'd say the 90, 95% scam problem aren't brilliant people out there custom writing smart contracts, finding a way to rug communities. They're opportunists because of how easy it is to launch these smart contracts that are already a little bit dangerous. And they just take advantage of a lot of the default mechanisms in order to hurt 
potential holders of the token. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I, I think that's one of the challenges. I think one of the reasons you see so much innovation in, in crypto, which um, you know, I'd love to get your take on this. I find it mind numbing sometimes that, you know, if you're 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 if you're zeroing in and working on your own project and so you're kind of just doing that and maybe you're using sort of the latest research or oh, actually this project did it better, um, it's great. But I found sometimes uh, I'll go into like a little hole for like about a month, you know, when you're working on those really hard updates. And like, I've had this experience and I don't know if you've had where I've popped my head up and it's like a completely different world. Um, the space can innovate rapidly because of that decentralization and, and because of the, you know, everything is open source. So, and there's a financial incentive, right? And 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 so you get to see, like you said, you're the, the best stress tests are uh, watching how other projects mess up and, you know, one, you know, that like liquidity feature on SafeMoon, probably fine for SafeMoon because that's a trusted team and, you know, not a huge issue, really not fine for a majority of projects, um, you know, so then people devise other mechanisms. And so I don't know if you've had that experience. Um, are there any technologies that you sort of wish you onboard into the project or you plan to onboard that you're seeing in the space right now? And, you know, feel free to be wonky. No, no, sure. Um, so I think, I have a, a wish list actually a mile long of things that I wish were in the contract from when we relaunched. So all the the furnace functionality, all those like orbiting contracts um, to our parent contract that added a bunch of functionality were done after the fact because we obviously couldn't go to the token and change how the token worked. So we had to go jump through all these technical hoops, right? Like we want the 8% tax, like right now it's used, like half is used for reflection and the other half is used for auto liquidity. So we had to like set up a swapper contract that that was whitelisted from taxation. And then we would um, impose a 8% tax that had separate taxation rules on where the money would actually go to, that would go to like a furnace, right? <laughs> so there's, a lot oh, that yeah. happened um, that we wow. built out built that out. were, that were um, sorry, I'm getting a little bit of echo. Um, but yeah, right. there's a lot of a lot of things that happened, a lot of um, problems we tried to solve by creating these auxiliary smart contracts to our parent contract because everything was immutable. And so, yeah, if I were to go go through and like recreate the contract, man, I would have a field day. Um, but you're right, like it changes from week to week to week. I, I always joke around a week and in crypto is is like a year in real life like it's you you'll poke your head up and the whole space will be different you know for for one week reflections were like the thing right everybody wanted a reflection based token and then someone coming out and be like what if we charged 15 percent tax and gave those in reflections ultra reflections and then everyone piles into that right and then people be like i'm gonna reflect in busd and everyone's like Ah, <laughs> everyone goes crazy over this like yeah. one little simple innovation, right? And then and that falls out of favor. And and so it it does cycle through. Everyone has these like interesting things, like the Everrise, like uh, you know, we have the Kraken, and everyone's like, ah. <laughs> so some of these things are legitimate innovations, some of these things are gimmicks, right? Um, but people they do, they dogpile onto what they think is gonna be the next big thing. And oftentimes these are like small tweaks or changes to how um, how smart contracts are, are utilized. And so um, it, it is a it is an issue. I mean, we've been around, we see a lot of tokens come and go. Um, and we haven't changed much um, in terms of, I mean, we've added auxiliary contracts, we added additional functionality, 
Um, but the lesson, my main lesson and takeaway is that everyone's vying, I think, for all these little technical innovations. I think they add up. I think they're meaningful. I think it does propel the, the space forward a little bit. Um, but there are very few real true innovations out there. A lot of these things are, are gimmicky. And I would, um, again, this isn't financial advice to anyone, but I think finding a token with real utility, finding a token that actually has like a meaningful project behind it is probably one of the most important things as opposed to like technical gimmicks or, you know, things like that. But I do appreciate when people actually are trying to innovate, when they're actually changing the smart contracts to do something a little bit different. It's always it's always pleasant to see that. Right, right. And I mean, and SafeMoon uh, was like a market innovation in that nobody had really seen the reflections um, on that scale, but it was actually just RFI. I mean, they just took a, the RFI contract and, you know, um, so that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was a sort of, had been there, I think, for years prior to when SafeMoon launched, if you remember. Yeah, they, they popularized something, right? And, right, uh, right, I, right. I, and, and, I mean, I'll be, I'll be frank, right? SafeMoon didn't do a lot of technical innovation. What they did is they brought it to the mainstream. And so um, I think their success is a marketing success, not necessarily a technical success. Um, and I think there's a lot of good that happened from the rise of SafeMoon, but I also think that there's some bad things that happened in its wake, specifically the, the, the danger of the smart contract. Absolutely. Um, kind of on a similar topic, but something I'm interested in is what, what would you say has been um, sort of your greatest technological challenge, kind of staying on this tone right here, um, talking about under the hood of the project? Um, is there a particular DAP, smart contract? You know, you mentioned about having the auxiliary contracts. What has been the most challenging as a developer? Um, well, smart contracts are um, complicated and dicey, but once you kind of get the hang of things, um, it actually becomes one of the easier parts of the ecosystem. Um, so. I think uh, the mobile app development is probably one of the most difficult challenges that we faced. Um, there's a lot that goes on underneath the hood. There's a lot of development time that's required. And it's difficult to coordinate a large scale software engineering project like a mobile app. The nice thing about DeFi and just Web3 in general is that it's a lot easier um, to build an app, then I'd say more traditionally, just because you don't have a huge backend that you have to coordinate with the front end. Um, a lot of these things are just accessible on the blockchain. Um, so we've we've had technical challenges. Um, one of the biggest things that I think we had to face so far was building the proof of concept for the wallet. Um, and so this isn't anything we like fort from Trust Wallet or anything like that. It was we before we made an announcement that we we're working on the wallet, we had to go through and we had to actually make sure this was possible. Um, and we didn't want to do a wallet just for the sake of having a wallet. We wanted to have a wallet so it would unlock in-app Web3 contract interactions because we wanted to have in-app purchasing. We, we didn't want to redirect to a D-app, right? Um, and connect your wallet through Wallet Connect. We didn't want to do that garbage. We wanted to be people to be able to like buy, sell, transfer, interact with contracts all within the app itself. But the only way to do that is to have a wallet so that you can you you don't have to like connect to anything else, right? So by having an integrated wallet that unlocked the in-app purchasing, the in-app Web3 interactions without pulling up a dApp, and that was the most technically challenging piece we've had to work on so far because the Web3 in-app interactions 
that was hard. Uh, we almost gave up. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Like during our, our little POC research and development phase, uh, it got to a point where like we don't we're not even sure if we can we can do this with our technology stack. Uh, but Amir um, was able to pull through and get it working and do a proof of concept. And we are having wallets on the test test net. Um, and that was, I think, a coup for us. So um, it was a big challenge. We were able to overcome it. But man, it was it was not without a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and work, work from Amir to make it happen. The, the DApps are challenging the um, the the websites and things like that, like traditional Web two development. Like those are all things that you know a lot of people know how to solve. Um, mobile app development is just hard, but Web three mobile development is very tough, and you have to do a lot of things of like playing around with the packages and setting up your dependencies like just right. I mean, it's like, don't breathe, you know, stack of cards, like <laughs> getting it to work was, was, was really challenging. Yeah, I think I've had the, the, the one of the hardest things I've had is, is actually with Web3. I, I, I at one point had to gut, like you're saying, I had to gut through dependencies. Um, and this was like on an early project file, which I actually just rebuilt the whole thing because it was it was that messy at a certain point, especially when I was like first establishing that. So I can't imagine how complicated that is uh, for what you guys uh, have achieved in your in your current beta wallet. Um, it takes a lot of time. Obviously, this takes a hell of a lot of time. You said that you um, recently just went full time. So I have to ask, although maybe it was said in your community, um, is that because uh, are you able to sustain yourself on the useless ecosystem quite yet? Or are you bullish on useless? Um, you've worked up and saved a lot of, you know, money or whatever it is. And you just were like, you know, go for it. I mean, I think sometimes, um, you know, a lot of communities want people to work full time on the token, but it's not, you know, a reality for every developer as much as they'd like to um, at that time. So I would love to hear kind of what your, um, what the reality was and what your, how you were able to decide that this was the time to go full time and not just you, but uh, multiple people, right? Like three of you, I think. Yeah, um, so it, it's a combination. Um, so Amir is, uh, I, I'm not going to disclose exactly how long of a runway we have because we don't want to create like oh, a right. ticking, ticking clock, you know, on on when we run out of runway. Um, but there's a, a decent chunk of time um, for Amir funded to work full time, enough for him to quit his job. Um, and so um, Amir is fully funded. Um, and that was from a private sale of tokens and those tokens are locked up. Um, and so that came from a private sale. Um, for myself, it was a combination. Part of it was a private sale of some of my tokens, um, again, that are locked up. Um, and part of it is, um, is savings uh, from my own personal funds. Uh, it's about half and half. Um, and so I, I took the step to go full time. Um, I think what, what, Amir was was I think the the top priority for going full time just because that would really move the app forward and that was our flagship and our bread and butter. Uh, so it was really important to try to secure at least some funding to to get him to do that. Um, and then for myself, I think that really unlocked you know the the opportunity that I'm having right now at 10:34 a.m. my time, right? Instead of being at work to be on this interview right now, right? Um, and so I have the opportunity now to go over to Lance's house, to Joseph's house, to Amir's house, right? I was over at Amir's for like 15 hours yesterday um, while we were working on the app. Like it was, it was insane. 
Um, we got a lot of work done. Um, I'm not slave driving him. He wanted to do this, so, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's it's been a, a ton of fun, and it feels really really great to actually be like working on this full time now. And so I have the opportunity to really go out and like talk to people and to really promote useless and also to work on venture capital funding, which is really big in the state of Utah right now. Um, and so that is one of the initiatives that I'm working on as well as working full time. And also, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but um, Useless Jellyfish is also full-time. He's been kind of quiet about it. Um, it's not that he doesn't want me to announce it. Um, he just thinks it's more important that Amir and I are the ones working full-time. Um, he's not doxxed. So he's like, oh, no, I'll just you know keep it on the DL. But you know, um, he's working on this full-time as well, behind the scenes on business development and venture capital. And so um, he's... I'm. I, I'm really impressed that he's basically self-funding himself. I don't even know how he's doing it. You didn't pay him any money to do it. And so he's just going full time because he believes in the project so much. So, but, but you're right. Um, it is challenging and difficult in order to work full time on a project. And um, it wasn't funded by anything in the liquidity pool or anything like that. I think it's really important that these are all things that were, um, privately funded as opposed to like oh you know we have a bunch of unlocked lp we're gonna pull that out and then use it to pay ourselves that's definitely not how it worked um so private sales i think it was a, a pretty decent mechanism at least to get enough runway um to then try to get the venture capital side going and so that's the goal um is i would like to see here in the next several months um us to actually get Honestly, um, it may sound like a huge number, but it's really realistic in the Utah tech market to try to get a few million in investment capital. And that would be enough to give us a good, comfortable two-year runway with a pretty decent-sized core team. Awesome. I mean, you're all in, but you're doing it 100% right. You know, it's it's this is this is calculated. Um, I can tell that you've had your benchmarks and you've been watching it, and that's the good mark of a good project leader and 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 team. So you know, continuing to be impressed. Uh, old scratch, I believe you had some more questions. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually wanted to jump back to um, what you said about uh, you know, kind of like a lot of these uh, crypto projects copying smart contracts and barely changing anything. And this look, I'm not in the tech world really at all. So this could be kind of a stupid question. I actually have never even asked Mephisto this, but I'm kind of curious if there's any realistic possibility to this or if this is just a horrible idea. But would um, I, do you think it's possible that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, centralized government got, you know, too involved in the DeFi space. Could they start doing something like requiring that smart contracts be copyrighted? you know, for to prevent that purpose of uh, people kind of just taking your contract and, and going through with it and kind of copying everything. Because I don't know if that would be, I, mean, I can see that being a good idea for stopping a lot of scams, but I don't know if that would be a good idea in terms of, you know, innovation at that point too. And that's even realistic and you can even regulate that. I'm just kind of curious on that. Yeah, from a from just a traditional software development perspective, um, it's it's pretty free in terms of licensing how you want intellectual property to be kind of distributed. So um, for example, if I were to write a piece of software, um, how that gets distributed and the allowances on how that gets distributed is based off the licensing that I set for that piece of software. 
So for example, if I go out and create something open source and I put it under the MIT license, um, then it, I would effectually be, anyone could copy that freely with maybe some like attribution or something like that, right? Um, but the whole world of open source software, um, I think also crypto falls under the umbrella of that. It's just code at the end of the day. And how sure. you license that out and the license that you set is is really up to the person who who's wrote that code. And so I um, the I would be more concerned about the government coming in and regulating the space in more of like an SEC type way, where totally. um, yeah, where there's a lot of red tape or maybe initial funds that you have to do to like pay fees and register and things like that. Um, as opposed to trying to change the copyright system or to change um, how software licensing actually works. Um, I personally would love to see the government um, look at something like NFTs and apply some sort of ownership mechanism to them. So I think there's a, a couple of ways that regulation can actually bring validity to the space. For example, like imagine getting pulled over 10 years from now and it's license and NFT registration, please, right? And you pull out your wallet and they verify that you have the title to the vehicle, right? I mean, that's a pipe dream, but like if, if government were to get on board with recognizing property ownership through NFTs, um, that could be a good way that government can come in and, and help regulate sure. the space to, to, to bring validity to a lot of this property. Right. I mean, imagine having a wallet filled with music and you connect to a dumb pipe, whether it's Apple or Google or Amazon or whatever, and it scans your wallet, recognizes you have this music and then just streams your music to you because you own it and you pay for the service of that dumb pipe of them providing the data to you. And so, like, that's the future that I would love to see where government is interacting and interplaying with DeFi in a positive way to where they're recognizing aspects of DeFi. Um, but you're right. I think it's probably far more likely that government's just going to step in and be like, we're going to regulate this and this because of all the people hurt and they'll do it under the guise of protecting investors, um, or regular token holders. And you know what? They're going to have a valid point because there's so many people harmed that if we don't stop it ourselves, they're going to find a way to regulate and, and, and stop a lot of these scams themselves in a way that is not truly in the spirit of DeFi. Um, and one last thing I'd like to add is, um, I think the government's not stupid. I think they realize that when it comes to cryptocurrency and decentralized systems, it's really hard to enforce. So for example, um, you know, you look at prohibition, you know, what's, what's ban alcohol, alcohol bad, we're gonna ban alcohol and then it's unenforceable, right? Or abortion right. bad, we're gonna ban abortion and then you realize it's unenforceable. And so there's like all these things that I think the government has realized that if you try to enforce, like we're going to ban crypto, all you're going to do is create a criminal underground of people working with crypto behind the scenes in a decentralized way anonymously, and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. And so I hope, I really, really hope that people in government and people in the public space and the public sector can look at crypto and say, let's leverage and use this technology as opposed to just trying to regulate it out of existence. Right, yeah, and that's funny you bring that up because I remember um, back when China, you know, banned crypto, was a, there was that whole thing. Uh, one of the, when we were like uh, hyping up our, uh, our pre-sale doing AMAs and everything during that whole week of lots of AMAs, 
we had a Chinese community and I remember we were like, oh, this is interesting. You know, I wonder, you know, uh, what they're going to say on that. And they brought it up actually in the AMA about how like they're using VPNs and stuff and that like really there's nothing, you know, this is what they were saying. We didn't even ask them about it, but that there's nothing really the Chinese government can do to kind of stop us from doing this because we just use VPN. I mean, I think we all use VPNs in crypto anyway, but you know, they, they had this whole underground network and AMA uh, kind of community to invest in new projects, right? And I just thought that was really interesting because I totally agree. Like, they can't stop in this at all at this point. It makes me laugh when people still say, like, oh, this is just a fad. This is going to go away. And I just go, really? Is this much stuff out? This much stuff? This is just going to go away? I, I don't think so. I think it's way too powerful. And the amount of money overall is important in this market as quickly as it has been has been crazy. So... Yeah, I think you're going to see some dying gasps um, as crypto starts really honestly threatening some of these um, established um, type industries. Uh, I think we're gunning for banks. We're gunning for Wall Street, right? These are powerful entities. And so I think that you're going to see um, them trying really hard, buying politicians or drafting legislation and um, throwing lobbyists at the problem, right? And you may even have an era where it's you're fighting a battle where it's maybe two steps forward and one step back. And so I think it's going to be a big, long fight. And I think that we're going to win some battles and we're going to lose some. I think we're ultimately going to win the war, but it's going to probably take years to dismantle traditional financial institutions. Um, and I really do believe personally that overall, I think... Um, the world that we're going to live in 20, 30, 50 years from now is going to be vastly different than what we see now. Um, I mean, you see computing in the 80s and 90s. You have the rise of the Internet. You have the rise of the smart, you know, smartphones and all that. Now we have the rise of the smart contracts. And I think that's going to usher in a completely new era. Like this is this is our decade, right, of us in the in the 20s now to go through and to completely rethink and rebuild how we manage property, how we manage assets, how we manage intellectual property, how we manage currency and funds, right? How we um, think of loans. I mean, all these things are are coming to fruition and we're in the early, early days, right? We're, we're like uh, that, the Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, you know, sitting in front of yellow screens, you know, yellow and black screen days, you know, sure. with... Like that's, that's what it feels like. And, yeah, no, and so, sure. yeah. so, so everyone here in this space has an opportunity to make a dent and to help progress this space forward. And it's not going to be one massive innovation, right? It's going to be hard work from um, small teams with big ambitious visions. And um, I think it's going to catch people with their pants down. And so, yeah, there's going to be a struggle. Um, but I think ultimately we're going to, we're going to win. Definitely. And Mephisto has a background in politics, actually. So, uh, you know, he's great at talking about this sort of stuff and, uh, you know, can add some valuable insight on this, I'm sure. No, I mean, not just that, but the California government of all governments. So it's a it's 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 been really interesting. Um, I've left the government side uh, and I'm, I'm fully freelance, um, which gives more time to work on this project as well. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been there in the room. The conversation of crypto has not really come up. Um, we had one particular person in California who would mention crypto, 
um, that that's kind of gone away. Um, so it hasn't actually reached the the California shores in any meaningful way, other than a lot of the policies um, uh, being, you know, losing a lot of major crypto companies like Harmony uh, to Miami. Um, but there hasn't, you know, fortunately, really, I mean, most of the state government has no idea what crypto is, but it's starting to be more of a conversation. Um, one of the things I think is uh, when you're developing, especially if you're developing a long-term project, do you try to think a little bit about uh, what you think the space is? I, I know speculation is often a fool's errand. Um, yeah, I know most of the crypto news is is on YouTube or something is is geared around speculation. And you know, if you say enough things enough times, one person's of course going to be right. <laughs> you know, if you have a hundred people saying that. But I do think it's interesting. I mean, from usually you want to have a little bit of uh, you know insight into where you think the trends are going, um, especially with your background as a software developer. Have you got any thought to that of, of where you think really the space is going um, over the next year or two um, and how your project fits into that? Uh, yeah, that, is, that is extremely highly speculative. Um, <laughs> so to where things We're are totally. going. Yeah, um, I, I think the metaverse is not a fad. I think it's, it's here to stay. Um, I think that there's definitely from a, um, there's a lot of excitement around it too. I think it's going to be one thing that is going to draw some people in, you know, the gamification of blockchain and things like that, I, I think is going to be really exciting. You bring in a bunch of gamers, you know, people get really excited about that kind of thing. Um, but, but also too, it's creating, you know, sort of a world where you have virtual reality or even augmented reality, you know, imagine driving down the highway and you put on your AR goggles or whatever, and you see like advertisements from other places, or, you know, you walk into a field and it's a creation that someone made, right, in this alternate reality um, or, or virtual reality. And, and so these are all exciting things, the gamification. It's an aspect, it's an element, it's not where everything's going. Um, but I think it is just sort of a, um, a buzzing sector that I think will continue to grow in popularity. Um, and I think we're gonna see some really cool innovations come out of that sphere. Um, I think the same thing with NFTs. Um, when people talk about NFTs now, you know, they think of like bored apes and JPEGs and things like that. Where I really see the, the real innovation happening is like what I briefly touched on earlier is actual media, actual IP ownership. Um, so things like managing your music, managing your audiobooks, managing, um, actually like important governmental type documents, like, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you know, as people start respecting the property rights of these NFTs, uh, we're going to see a lot more innovation come out of it because it, it's a way to manage digital, digital assets. That's freaking awesome. Right. It, that is highly, highly innovative. And so right now, I think we're going to look at the whole board ape phenomenon and all the, the JPEG <laughs> NFTs as really like the very beginning of really rethinking digital ownership. And so that's where I see it is um, tokens. I, I'm, I'm not to, I mean, obviously I, I help manage and, and run a token. Uh, tokens are a small piece of everything that's decentralized, right? What makes all of this really work are the smart contracts. And so, I see more utility coming out of DeFi and the decentralization aspect of the fall of centralized exchanges. And what I mean by that is you look at something like Binance or KuCoin or Crypto.com, right? All these exchanges, you have to go through a, a rigorous listing process. You're trading dozens of tokens, right? Or maybe a small hundred tokens or whatever, when there's literally tens tens if not hundreds of thousands of tokens out there that you can trade. 
And so things like PancakeSwap for Binance or Uniswap for Ethereum, things like that. Um, I, I think that um, the decentralization aspect of being able to trade is going to become more and more enticing and more interesting because you have just so many different pairs and things you can trade with without having to go through some sort of exchange middleman um, because it's not decentralized, right? Uh, these hot wallets are being traded on computers in a database somewhere and they're all done off chain. Like it baffles me that SafeMoon through BitMart has a taxation that's applied on buy and sell that isn't touching their smart contract at all. This is just some fake taxation put on top that is ran by just some code that someone put together and they scrape that money and it goes where? No one has any transactional record of it, right? And I'm not saying that SafeMoon's up to no good. I'm just saying there's no transparency in that process and that's dangerous. It's a bad precedent. And so I would love to see the fall of centralized exchanges in lieu of more of a decentralized um, ecosystem around exchanging tokens. I think we're starting to see that happening. Um, and so that is, if I were to be speculative, I would see, um, and I hopefully useless can be part of that, is the fall of the centralized exchange and the real push towards true decentralization in the space. Yeah, and we're with you on that. I mean, you know, I think I I, I hope that centralization was sort of the first steps. We're actually working on a uh, sort of on our content side. One one of our devs is is just tasked with uh, content creation on YouTube, and that's launching next week. And actually, one of our first things is about the fact that the very first centralized exchange in all of cryptocurrency, Mt. Gox, was a scam. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not to take down the entire space, but to be in the space, you have to understand that it, it is a lot, a lot of scams and, you know, responsible teams that, that care about the innovation and care about the utility and, and care about the, the revolution that's taking place, um, have to continue to find ways to, um, meaningfully address those situations internally, um, kind of like our, our reoccurring theme, um, with you going full-time, with so much happening right now with Useless, I just, uh, for our community, for those who aren't following it and for people who are listening to the recording, um, I just wanted to, like, to give a, a, you know, a couple minutes here um, to, for you to just share openly about what you're most excited for coming up. Um, I know that you're currently in beta, so um, I don't know if you have a timetable for that. Um, and then are you looking at any, are you looking at any other, like, do you want to tease anything here? Or, I really kind of want to turn it over to you um, and see if there's anything. We, we we try to always get the hot takes as much as we can. Um, uh, is there anything that you really want to share about sort of the the immediate future of this project, um, especially with all this exciting stuff going on with, you know, some serious uh, uh, man hours going into the, the project now? Like you're saying you just had a 15-hour day. Um, you know, you're in a really good position, so I'd love to hear what sort of exciting stuff you have uh, near term. Yeah. Um, so if you already have the useless app in beta, you can't get it on the app stores yet because we're still in their beta program. So you'd have to have test flight for Apple or you would have to click on the link directly um, through Google in order to get it on Android. Um, so if you are familiar with it, already using it, um, you may be familiar with a new update that just went out today that uh, was the fruits of our labor for yesterday. <laughs> That's why we were there for so long. Um, completely new charts. Um, so the, the listing for all the charts are really, really snappy um, when you scroll up and down um, for all of the listings. Um, we're able to support like 100, 200 different charts on the screen at once as you're zipping through and it's just buttery smooth. 
for the um, the actual chart itself, when you drill in, um, it's also a lot smoother, fully optimized. And instead of it just being like a simple little line chart, it's now like red on the top on the starting point and then, uh, sorry, green on the top and then like red if it dipped and then green if it goes above the starting point for the time period that you choose and things like that. So that's something we literally just released and is, um, I think it's getting improved. It's already approved through Apple. I think it's getting improved through Android right now. So it should be out sometime today or over the weekend um, for Android users. So that's just exciting um, that we're making significant progress now on, on some of these things. And behind the scenes, Amir was able to update fully update the SDK, which was overdue. Um, and that unlocked a lot of things. Um, for those of you who aren't developers, sorry if this will bore you to tears, but um, React, we were using something called Expo, which allows for over-the-air updates. And um, Expo has a really cool managed system to where um, on React Native, it compiles down to iOS and, you know, because it's, it's React Native and also to Android. Um, well, with the new SDK, um, it's not just a lot of the Expo approved React Native stuff. It's now like anything and everything that is more of like React, you can actually compile down um, into iOS and Android. And so it just unlocked a lot of really cool libraries and tools out there that we can now integrate directly into the app. So from a technical standpoint, um, the app is uh, far more flexible now um, for us to go through and to add new features and libraries and, th and things like that. We're not restricted to a smaller subset of things that we can actually put in there, which is super cool. And we still have the over-the-air updates, which is really nice because you don't have to re-download the app every time there's an update. Uh, it just... Um, when you relaunch the app every few times, you might have a different version um, with, and it's completely, and it's completely flawless. flawless. Yeah, it's, just, it's pretty cool. Um, so that's like more recent stuff. I'm gonna get in trouble if I make any announcements on here, just because every time <laughs> I, I leak I something, never drop the brand. <laughs> <laughs> my, my marketing team comes after me whenever I leak something without prepping them in advance. Um, so I, I'm going to have to be good today, unfortunately. Um, but what I can probably tease a little bit is that we have um, a lot of movement in the background towards greater decentralization and bridging. So um, one of the big things that's important to us and we've been investigating for some time has been trying to bridge over to other chains. And one of the problems with bridging is that it's a very centralized process, right? Because some sort of central entity has to manage the bridge because chains typically just by default don't talk to each other. Um, and so what we've are what we're planning on incorporating right now. Again, I, I don't want to fully commit to stuff, but um, in the in the background, we're building POCs and we're researching, and I feel like ninety five percent confident we're going to go down this route um, to where we're going to have a lot more decentralization in our future. Um, some big sweeping changes that are going to have a lot of really cool um, downstream effects um, for just the token itself and for bridging to other chains. Um, so that's if you wanted to have a little teaser bit. I, I think that's what I could probably get away with without them wringing my neck. So <laughs> that's a great teaser. And um, we're going to try to find a special badge for you for resisting the devil's temptation. You did excellent. You performed excellently here. Um, all right. I mean, we're, we're coming you. up. Uh, 
we're coming up at 10. Uh, we really appreciate this and we really appreciate um, being able to have this sort of collaborative and sort of friendly conversation, both in your channel and our channel. And we hope this is the start of um, sort of many, you know, constant communication between our two projects um, who are really, really at the end of the day, trying to achieve the same thing. And, you know, the more projects like ours that are working to solve this actual problem um, in a way that that's effective and, and sincere, um, that's exactly going to arrive at, I think, what we've mentioned several times here is, is having a DeFi space that that does become a part of people's daily lives, right? So we really appreciate all the amazing, super hard work and just uh, stellar stellar efforts that you've been doing in your project. And um, uh, I don't know if you want to, uh, Old Scratch wants, has anything else to say, and then you just want to close us out. Yeah, uh, thank you again. And just to second that, I'll say proudly, I actually am a useless holder. I really love your guys' project, and I love the, the overall mission you guys are doing. Um, I dropped the Telegram link, by the way, for anyone in my channel uh, for, for Useless Crypto. If anyone wants to go check them out and you know ask them more questions there uh, about the project, and if you're interested in investing, you can talk to them about that. But uh, yeah, again, like to, to kind of second what Mephisto said, um, yeah, we're definitely looking forward and keeping in touch with you guys, not just as investors, but just kind of as a project and communicating with with you guys because I think what you're doing is really good and I think uh, I think you're definitely a legit long-term project and you have an important mission in mind so thank you so much well thanks for having me I really appreciate it I've always been of the mind that we're in collaboration not competition in DeFi and I, I think that there's been a lot of drama in the space there's been a lot of finger pointing and backstabbing and whatnot and uh, tried really hard to stay above the fray and try to do the right thing in all of this. And so I appreciate you guys and being so open um, to have this conversation with us and, you know, obviously looking forward to a, a, a fruitful future. So, you know, keep in touch. Don't be a stranger. Thank you. Awesome. And thank you everybody for attending. This was an excellent AMA and we will release the recording a little later today. Thank all you right, so much. So much. Have a good right, one. Thanks again for having me. You too. Yeah, goodbye.